Welcome back to the Blushy Boys Podcast. BlushyBoys.com is your home for all things Detroit Tigers baseball on the SB Nation platform. Let's get the show underway. All right, welcome back, everyone. This is the Blushy Boys Podcast, and I've got a special guest for us tonight, um, the prospect writer for the Athletic Detroit, as well as the as a prospect correspondent, excuse me, for uh, Baseball is America as well, former Bless You Boys alum, uh, one of our favorite people to talk to on the podcast is back, Emily Walden. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on again. Ah, absolutely. Yep, yep. This is our yearly tradition, kind of try to get you after the Arizona Fall League, but they were all sneaky this year and they, they moved it up. <laughs> they were. They were. It was it was an unusual schedule. And I think the biggest difference for me was the temperature change where it's still beautiful there that time of year. But because of the fact that it was moved up earlier, the the main part of the hot season was still sort of lingering a little bit. So we definitely put in our share of sweat at a lot of the games and sat in the shade as much as we could. But all in all, it was a really, really fun time. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, they tried to have more night games too, didn't they, to try to try to make up for that? But They did. Yeah, they, they tried to structure it to where it was a little bit more fanny. Because not all of the stadiums down there are as, I guess, fan-friendly places for Arizona because you have so much of just that raw, kind of punch-you-in-the-face heat. And because of that, you really have to structure those stadiums to where they've got enough shade to keep the fans content. And because not all of them do necessarily, they did try to put more focus on that with the night games. And I mean, the attendance was, it was so-so. It was it's not always the best. And I think the change in schedule factored into that a little bit. But I think all in all, it was a successful campaign. Yeah, it seems like it's kind kind of better in a certain sense to like not give them so much time off before they come back for, you know, for the Arizona Fall League. A lot of times it's like, you know, over a month and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, Everybody, you got to turn it back on now. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely pros and cons to it. And I think another issue that may have created a little bit of a damper on things was the fact that they didn't have as much attention with MLB Network this year that they normally do because stuff sort of coincided with the playoffs. And so that sort of ran into each other a little bit. And because of it, I don't think the league got as much attention as I would have liked to see especially with some of the names that were there this year. But, you know, in general, I think, you know, the, the diehards paid attention. I got to meet a lot of the Twitter faces from the West Coast. So that was that was really fun. A lot of Oakland fans were out there, a lot of Angels fans. Oh, um, cool. Getting to reconnect with a lot of those prospects, too, like Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh, Alec Baum, like all these guys who I don't necessarily get to see in person as much, but it was really cool to connect with them and kind of see where they're at development-wise. Oh, yeah. If I was an Angels fan, I'd definitely want to go see some Joe Adele. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I mean, overall, did you have did you come away with any impressions of the Tigers prospects that were down there? Nobody kind of really had a, had a big campaign or, or made much in the way of waves, but we did have, you know, Anthony Castro was there, Daz Cameron, Mr. Vest bunch of different uh, folks in and out although Isaac wasn't there very long either no Isaac Isaac was um he wasn't I don't think you could consider it prematurely because a lot of a lot of these guys the teams have a set time frame in mind when they send these guys places but it's not made public so when you hear 
so-and-so has been transitioned. Everybody goes, what happened? Did he get hurt? Is he sick? What's going on? And then there's just a sheer panic for no reason. But as I, I spoke with um, Dave Littlefield with the Tigers front office, and he made it very clear that they have, you know, predetermined assignments for these guys. Um, Des Cameron being in Puerto Rico, Isaac Paredes transitioned from Arizona to the Mexican Winter League. Um, a lot of these guys are getting a chance to go back and more importantly, play in front of their hometown crowds. And that that sense of loyalty that they have for their hometowns, for their home countries, it's a huge opportunity for them. And so many of these guys look forward to that every year because they get to go back and see family and friends. And it's it's just really, it's, it's a sense of loyalty for them. And so I think it's a great opportunity, but obviously the, the parent clubs are going to monitor their time very closely and watch for any signs of fatigue. And so it's really just dependent on what players go where. Yeah. I mean, you, you want the guys to be able to, I mean, they're all young. You want them to go home and see their friends and see their family, but, and also not be overworked, of course. So trying to yeah strike that balance and know how many ABs you're going to get each one and all that has got to be yeah, exactly. And being out in Arizona, one of my bigger takeaways is I got to see Alex Lang pitch for the first time since he came over in the trades. Um, so got to see a campaign from him. He uh, did well, posted some video. I um, only got to see a little bit of Anthony Castro. He threw a little bit in the Fall Stars game. Um, got a little bit roughed up, unfortunately, but um, I spoke with Mike Rabello about it, and Mike mentioned that he overall had had a good good run out there, and he was he was pleased with the progress. Um, obviously, Anthony made enough of an impression with the Tigers to be protected in, in the Rule 5 draft this year, too. Um, Derek Hill, who I noted wasn't protected last year, but was protected this year, um, I think was due in large part to his successful season in AA. Um, he put up a really, really hot start at the plate, which everybody is watching right now because his defense is fine, as we all know. Um, and at the plate is really where he needs the work. So, while the end of the year wasn't quite as strong, um, I think the Tigers were pleased enough with the progress he showed. And obviously, he's going to have to carry that into next year. I think they're going to be aggressive with them and may try him in AAA, but that would also create some competition with Daz Cameron. So you have to look at a few of the, the strategy points where they're going to start to have a bottleneck between Erie and Toledo. So it's it's going to take some strategy for 2020, and it'll be interesting to see what direction the team goes. Yeah, I mean, and you look at, you know, they picked up Troy Stokes um, at the end of the season, another kind of, you know, sort of 4A outfielder who's sort of in that middle ground where he hasn't established, you know, much of a presence to, to play it in the majors yet, but but has enough experience at the AAA level. Um, and there's guys like that. And then you've got, obviously, Jake Robson. You've got Travis Merritt. All these guys, there's there's a lot. It really it really does seem like there's kind of a plethora of outfielders in the system, in the upper levels and at the major leagues who just haven't. Nobody's really sees the ball. It's just kind of a whole, a whole bunch of guys kind of hanging there to see who you know who can make some kind of a move forward here. And I I really think that 2020 is going to be a really deciding year for the the farm system where the Tigers are going to have to start to. I, I hate this phrase, but start to trim the fat a little bit where they're going to have to decide who is going to contribute with us long term. Is it going to be Derek Hill? Is it going to be Daz Cameron? Is it going to be Isaac Paredes? You've got to ask yourself, are these the ones that we're going to invest in? And if that's the case, who do we have to transition out of the picture? And I think that they 
they showed some of the direction they're going by who they protected and who they didn't. Um, because you've got Danny Woodrow and Jacob Robson, who both have had, you know, productive runs in their own way, but maybe not enough to where they fit into the big picture for the Tigers system. So that doesn't mean they couldn't find it with another organization if someone else picks them up in the draft. But we'll have to see what happens when the draft comes around and the Tigers are going to have some decisions to make next season. Yeah, especially for those two, because they're, you know, they're a little bit older. They were college players. Um, it just feels like teams aren't aren't necessarily going to give them as much time. You know, they're they're sort of a little bit closer to a mature product than some of the the younger guys, Azokar and and Hill, obviously, and Daz Cameron as well. So yeah, it kind of comes to that crunch that we saw like Mike Gerber in a couple seasons back, where it's like they're neat. You know, you have to find some way to stand out right there, or you might just kind of get lost in the shuffle. So you really do, and I think with Danny Woodrow and Jacob Robson both. They have very different profiles. They both have their own strengths. And unfortunately, when you have as many outfielders as the Tigers have, you're going to have to figure out who's standing out the most. And I think it's going to be guys like Daz Cameron that you're going to have to invest in because, you know, if developed correctly, that's a future five-tool player right there. You have to be able to call out those tools, though, to get the most out of it. And so, if you're going to invest in him, somebody else is going to have to transition out of the picture. And those are the tough decisions that the organization has to make. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, if you think about bringing Daz up next year, you start to wonder, you know, is Jacoby Jones, you know, going to be around long term or, or are the Tigers convinced that someone like him who's already 28 is, is basically done um, and maybe just try to move them? Yeah, it just uh, it just becomes very complicated when you get this this much depth. And the same thing is kind of true with the the starting pitching depth with, with so many um, really good starters who we saw at Erie this year all moving to Toledo, or at least, you know, in theory at some point moving to Toledo. And then, you know, they, they picked up Dario Az- uh, Agrizel today, um, who's another sure, kind of we'll starter we'll go with there. that pronunciation. <laughs> if, you, if you've got a better one, please help me. <laughs> I'm looking at his name, but I think it's Agrizel? Agrizel? Something similar. I can't say that I've received the correct pronunciation, but thankfully we all know who you're talking about. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> Yeah, we'll go with the guy whose name sounds like it's from Game of Thrones. But, there you go. Good, so, good, good answer. Yeah, so there's just, you know, there's kind of an awful lot of starters kind of kind of in the mix now as well. Um, Tyler Alexander, you know, took a little bit of a step forward last year that was nice to see. Um, and the Tigers are probably still, you would assume, going to try to pick up another kind of cheap, inexpensive, maybe bounce-back candidate, something like that. So, yeah, there's it, there's a lot of pressure, it seems like, on, on more and more of these guys to to do something or to kind of hit that point in their career where all of a sudden you are kind of veering into career minor leaguer territory. So, Yeah, and unfortunately for the Tigers system, there's a number of those guys that are currently in the organization, and it's going to be interesting to see who they move to Toledo and who they don't. Because right now you've got a lot of current starters who don't necessarily project to stick in the starting rotation. There's a lot of chatter about um, Kyle Funkhauser moving to the bullpen, Bill Burroughs moving to the bullpen. I don't know if they necessarily know what to do with Anthony Castro right now. Obviously, he's taken a big word in his capacity. Secondary stuff is it's kind of hit or miss. He'll he'll show flashes of more confidence and then he'll kind of back off a little bit. Like he still isn't quite sure about the grips he has, but definitely has matured a lot over the last couple of years. But you kind of wonder, is that the type of rotation arm that you're looking for in a rebuilding team? So I think they're going to have to decide where are you going to put some of these guys 
I don't think Tarek Skubal has anything left to prove in double A after the year that he had last year. Yep. Um, so bump him up to triple A. I think you've got to move Matt Manning and Casey Mize up to triple A. Alex Vieto, I think, is due to move up to triple A. But then you have to decide who gets pushed out. So it's it's going to be a lot of change next year, and they're going to be under a new manager as well. So it's going to be an interesting year for Toledo. Yeah, definitely. There's going to be going to be a lot of crunch there, but also a lot of talent, which I guess is, is the fun side of things that next year I'm going to see the Mudhenge should be just as entertaining as, as watching the Seawolves rotation Absolutely. was. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, Alex Fido, I thought, you know, did a really nice job, you know, making some adjustments to his delivery. He kind of improved his posture, um, looked like he was throwing downhill a little bit more. Um, you know, the, the fastball just overall looked like it was playing better, got a little velocity back, and he's been at um, he's been at double A now for over a full season. So yeah, I would, I would have to think he's going to uh, going to be close to getting the call too. Yeah, and I got the chance to finally see him during one of my series that I went to in Akron to end the year. And I was sitting with a couple of scouts when Fajardo started, and this was a start right off the injured list. Um, he had been having some back spasms, which when you're 6'5 and you're a pitcher, you're going to have back spasms. That's going to kind of come with the territory. I know Matthew Libertor with the Rays played in Bowling Green. Big, big kid. I want to say he's 6'5", 6'6". He's only 19. He had back spasm issues this year, too. So it's ultimately that's something you're going to face when you're a taller pitcher. Um, But this was actually my first time seeing Alex Faito in person with (laughs) the funny thing with my travel schedule. You try so hard to line up your, your trips to catch some of these guys. But it all depends on health. It all depends on rainouts. It all depends on, you know, what road series are coming up. And so I actually got to catch him. And the biggest thing for me, I think, was the fact that he had a few more ticks on his fastball. His slider had a little bit more bite to it. And I asked a couple of the scouts I was sitting with, I said, what do you think? You've seen him throw a couple other times. They said he's definitely tighter, definitely tighter, but he's not there yet. Um, The scouts that I've seen at those games, they're very honest and they're very blunt, but these are also guys who have been around the game for 15 plus years and they know what to look for. They know what to do. And I remember a scout telling me, one of my scouting mentors, he told me, he said, you know, and he said, our job is not to belittle a player. Our job is to talk about his strengths and the areas he needs to grow. And he goes, our job is to be honest. He goes, we're not doing it to run them into the ground. We're doing it to show if you want to compete at the major league level, this is where you need to improve. And so I always try to present the stuff that I see in more of a factual interpretation without so much of the OMG, he sucks. Right, right. <laughs> or, oh, this is my guy. You know, I called this years ago. I, I've always said, like, all those sorts of things that you see all exactly. over. Exactly, exactly. And and for anybody who knows me, they know that I, you know, sometimes go Jim Callis, Mackenzie Gore, you know, where it's like, yeah, you're allowed to be like, you know, I, I kind of had a thing with this guy, you know. The <laughs> yeah, I'm loving the guy back in the day and. I, I, I laugh when I hear Jim talk about Mackenzie Gore because he'll always say, you know, I always knew. I always knew. And Mackenzie will joke right back with him. And anybody who knows me knows that's Luis Patino with the Padres. He's he's kind of been, you know, my guy for the last couple of years. And we've we've had some fun kind of tracking his development. But you make fun with it. You know, you get into it. You're around these guys so much. You see them play so often. 
you've got to put some humorous spins on it once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it is, I'm sure, always a ba- I mean, it's a balancing act for me to some degree, too, even though at a blog, I'm, uh, it's a lot freer for me to just kind of spout whatever I think in the, in the moment. But, but, sure. but to do that thing where you you say what you mean and you're you're honest about it, but also not, yeah, not running the guy into the ground over this or that issue, because you just never know. We've all seen, you know, so many high end prospects flame out. We've seen so many guys who didn't look like they were really going to be anything suddenly put something together and become really good pitchers or, or position players. So it's all, yeah, it just helps to keep the arrogance level low because we're all wrong all the time in baseball. It's just the way it is. Oh, so completely, hard. completely. And I've had scouts tell me multiple times, you know, the, the amount of times that they were wrong about players. I had one scout tell me, he goes, I called Bill Bichette a non-prospect once. He goes, do you think I'm proud of that fact? No, I just don't talk about it. <laughs> yep, yep, that's rough. Yep, it's rough when, when one turns out like that. But, you know, it happens to it happens to the best of them, no doubt. So with um with Anthony Castro, you know, one thing, I, I it did look to me like his slider more often was the really, really good biting slider this season. And that, that was where my little bit of encouragement, like, you know, the, I know the command is still hit or miss, and he's still got such a loose, kind of long, rhythmic delivery. And I know that scares everybody um, as far as whether or not his command will ever tighten up. But um, but I still I still feel like there's a reliever in there. So I'm, I am hoping the Tigers will make a call here one way or the other finally and just and just move him to that role. But we'll see what they decide. Well, and it's, it's interesting, too, with teams' decisions to transition guys to the bullpen. I know Sandy Baez was one that was in bullpen conversations. Greg Soto was in bullpen conversations. And it was quite some time before they got moved. And I, I don't know if it was, we really want to be sure before we make that transition, like that kind of a situation. But some of them, it's pretty easy to see. When you've got a big arm like Greg Soto, you know, and maybe once you're throwing a bit more innings, the command starts to get shaky. Generally, you can look at that and say, look, you know, he's got a 95 plus mile an hour fastball from the left side. Stick him in the pen. He can eat a few innings. He can, you know, knock a couple guys out. And you really have to make those decisions, especially when these guys get mid-20s, you know, because that's when they're starting to kind of work towards their prime. They need to know what their role is so they can continue to develop and become stronger in that area. Yeah, and and just getting used to that that workload and that um and just that style, like not knowing if you're coming in or not, you know, being able to get ready and and be at your best quickly, but only for short bursts. Like it, it's a whole different mentality and uh, and probably a different physical preparation as well a lot of the time. So, yeah, it it, it seems like better sooner than than later in a in a certain sense, but. I guess you'd also have to say that part of that is just because the Tigers didn't necessarily have so much good starting pitching depth in the upper minors, and now that they do, it's kind of forcing those those decisions to be made, you know, more quickly. So we'll, we'll have to just see what they decide to do with those, those both of those two fellas. <laughs> I don't. I hope Absolutely. They give, I hope they give Bo Burrows a little bit longer, but I could understand uh, moving him that way as well. Well, and as of right now, I believe it's still just kind of in chatter phases. I know a few scouts have said that they see him moving in that direction, um, but I don't think everybody has written him off as a starter, mainly because of the fastball. Um, His fastball is still one of my favorites in the organization. He's got a great fastball, um, but this year was one of the toughest years I saw from him. Um, And I've, I've watched him throw every year since he signed, and seeing the way that he has sort of grown into himself in some ways and then watching the way where he had some health struggles 
um, didn't really seem to have full confidence later in the year because of that. It was just, it was tough, like knowing Bo, knowing the competitor that he is, knowing how hard he works and seeing him sort of come up against this challenge this year was tough to see. But I think you still got a really valuable arm in him. Um, if you, you know, decide to maybe give him another year as a starter, just to see and then make the decision from there. I don't, I don't think that's completely out of the picture, um, but it's definitely going to have to be a decision they make here in the near future. And honestly, the same with Kyle Funkhauser. Yeah. And obviously Bo, you know, Bo is still pretty young and I could see that, you know, this year must've been a bit of a shock to the system just because he never really had, you know, never really had too much in the way of struggles. Um, you know, coming up right out of high school has been very durable never really had much injury issue that I can recall, um, has, has been a pretty consistent innings eater, and yeah, always seems to maintain that fastball quality pretty late into his starts, which uh, we'd still like to bank on it and hope that he can kind of put the command and the secondaries together, um, especially because he is younger still, um, despite the experience. What is he, 22, maybe 23 now? I want to say he's about 23 because I think he and Franklin Perez are about the same age, if I remember correctly. So both of them are still, they have time on their side, which is good because you have, you know, the injury bug that just won't let go of Franklin Perez. And then you have a little bit of the challenges that we saw for Bo this year. But I think they still got a little time on their side, but there's going to have to be some decisions made moving forward for both of them. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Um, okay. Since you mentioned him, I just, I have to ask, uh, did you hear anything about Franklin Perez? Any, any word on how he's doing? You know, I checked in with the team about him. Um, they said right now he's just currently easing his way back into throwing. Um, they said that they didn't have any, you know, concrete plans on, what degree he'll go to in the way that he's throwing, likely just continuing to work out at the complex for the time being, um, probably do a little bit of bullpen work, this and that. So they're really not putting too much on him at the moment. Um, Obviously, they're hoping he enters next year healthy because of the fact that I'm going to say this off the top of my head, I don't think he's even thrown 25 innings within the Tigers organization. And that's been since 2017. And so that's that's pretty significant. But the fact that he is still young, he's got stuff. I mean, he reached double A at 19 and he has one of the toughest pitch mix pitch mixes in the organization. I mean, at at his full health, he's fantastic. But I haven't seen him at his full health since he was with the Astro system. It's just that's been the biggest frustration is that you have such a stellar arm who seemingly just walked in the door, tripped over the carpet, and he's still <laughs> getting over a concussion. Yeah, and you don't really, you, you know, you don't really have a, a a particular reason. Like we know it's the shoulder, but it's not like you know, well, he needs surgery or there's you know a specific diagnosis. It, it's uh, yeah, it's just a really tricky. Fatigue. Yeah, it's just a tricky fatigue. situation. Yeah. <laughs> yep, fatigue and constant soreness, and it's just hard to to separate that from the normal fatigue and soreness <laughs> because there's a lot of fatigue and soreness in pitching in general. So, very, very much, and the team has said too. You know, it's they're trying to solve the best way to deal with this. They know how much value he has at full strength. They're trying to address it, and I think they're going to have to figure something out. If he has another year where he just keeps getting sidelined, I mean, where do you draw the line? That's a question that they're going to have to ask themselves. Yeah, yeah, because he doesn't, you know, if it's going this way, there isn't really even a move to relief. So, I don't know. Here's uh, fingers crossed and say your prayers, folks, because it'd be real nice. Every time he does come back and pitch, 
you know, for a guy who hasn't pitched in a year, like, the command still looks good and the stuff still looks pretty good. It's kind of baffling. It's just, yeah, if you could add him to Tarek Scoovil and then, you know, Mize and Manning, it's like, holy smoke, this could be one heck of a foursome coming through. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to think anymore, so. Just get healthy, Franklin. That's all we ask. Just get healthy. Yeah, take care of that shoulder. Get, inject some coconut oil in there or something. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, brother. <laughs> Did um, was there much talk about the, the the difference in the twenty with the twenty five man roster moving to the twenty six man roster next year? Did, was there any talk about how that might affect the Rule Five draft? Did they, you know, did anyone kind of bring this up, or, or whether or not people were going to be more likely to take someone and hold on to them at this point? Or? Not nothing in great detail that I've heard as of right now. Um, it's mainly just been discussions about what type of moves the rebuilding teams are going to make. Obviously, the Tigers will have the first pick. Um, so they're a team that you have to pick someone because you're rebuilding. And so you really don't have a choice. Yep. <laughs> you've got to you've got to make a move. So I think it's going to depend on what the rebuilding teams do, what direction they go. Obviously, all the teams have different needs, and this this is an opportunity. I mean, whether you like the Rule 5 draft or you're not a fan of it, because let's be honest, it can be a little bit dull sometimes. Um, it's, still, it's still interesting in certain ways, and so I think depending on how aggressive the Tigers decide to be this offseason, you know, with announcing the, the signing of our dear pronunciationless friend that will work on <laughs> Dario. Dario, we love you. Yep. Um, it's it's going to be something where the Tigers are going to have to be very strategic. Um, there are some definitely interesting names who did go unprotected that I think would qualify as a good Rule 5 pick, um, but it just depends. Who, who do you go after? Do you try and find a bat? Do you try and find an arm? Do you try... You've got to find somebody who is close to the majors. You can't do... A lower level guy you've got to get somebody who's ready to knock on the door because they're going to need him in 2020 yeah so would you you're really not of the the mindset of taking like an estuary ruiz or something like that who's still you know 2021 and and just kind of sticking him in the the, the victor reyes protocol <laughs> something like that you know he he's very interesting because i've seen i've actually seen estuary and i can never say his name I, I am so sorry, Ruiz. I love you. You're wonderful. But to this day, I still struggle with saying his name. I've actually seen him multiple times. And honestly, I don't know if he's that close. Yeah. He still seems like I he's really, really raw. It, it would be kind just of Just in my, in my, he's very raw. He's very raw. And I've talked to um, some of the coaching staffs from the teams he's been with. And while they love the tool potential, it's just a matter of getting that potential to come to the surface. And I've seen flashes of it with him. I've seen athleticism. I've seen feel. I've seen good footwork. I've seen there's so many little things about him that I like. But as with so many young, raw profiles, can you pull that out? And can you pull that out consistently? That's always the question. And with a guy like him, you've got to put him under the right coaching to pull that out. And from my, my opinion and the times that I've seen him, I think he's a little bit too much of a gamble for the Tigers to focus on right now. Yeah, especially because you you have the risk of that you're hurting their development anyway because they're just going to sit on the bench watching, you know, Miguel Cabrera <laughs> and and feeling perhaps overwhelmed and I and I have to say like one thing that was impressive about Victor Reyes is that that's got to be a difficult thing to go through to be that overmatched, you know, sitting there in a dugout with all these, you know, legit major leaguers, some of whom, you know, you've probably been a fan of for a long time and to struggle that much and then to put that aside and come back the next year 
and you know and try to pick up where you left off is is kind of a trick. And obviously, Victor Reyes is several years older than um, than Ruiz or or some of the other young guys that we were talking about. So it's kind of a trick for sure. Well, and a feel good signing. I think that you know while we're just talking mushy, fluffy stuff. Yeah. Um, Sterling Sharp, who yeah. is unprotected with the Nationals, he's a Detroit native. Oh yeah. And that that would be a fun bring him back to the hometown crowd organization, all of that. That would be a fun little feel good one. And he's one that I got a chance to see in the Arizona Fall League. Um, watched him throw. His biggest issue this year, um, he got hurt. And so that really kind of hacked into his development time, spent some time in double A. Um, has has a good mix. He's not a high velocity guy. He's more of a deception guy. Um, and I watched him throw, I believe, five and a third scoreless in the outing I watched in Arizona. And he's very calculated. He's very level headed. He's got some good stuff. He's got some really good stuff. But again, he's another one. Ooh, still, still got some time there before I think he's going to be major league ready. And I think if you're the Tigers, you've got to look at a guy like maybe a little bit more developed Victor Reyes or a little bit more developed arm or something along those lines. They've got to be major league ready because this team is not looking much better for 2020. No. And, and I mean, I think what a lot of us would like is for them to actually try to go out and, and pull multiple players. I mean, I, you know, I'm not going to lose any sleep over Jarl Cotton or, you know, or if the Tigers don't get Greg Bird, but there are some guys like that who you think like that makes sense to me because the Tigers, you know, on the 25 man roster, there's quite a few guys there that I think we can say with certainty, you know, they're, they're just not really ever going to, to pan out into, you know, a regular starting player or, or certainly an above average starting player. There's a lot of kind of, you know, older, not, you know, former prospect type guys hanging around the roster. And yeah, I would kind of like to see the Tigers try to pick up a couple of these guys, um, you know, with deals beforehand and then use your rule five pick, you know, however, however you like. Um, so maybe Agrizal fits into that. Um, he's just not really, not really my cup of tea, but you know, you never know. <laughs> well, and I, I spoke with, I don't know for if people saw my tweets or not today, but I spoke with a handful of scouts um, about what they thought of Dario and it wasn't very promising. Um, the way one scout described him as a bit of a filler sign where, you know, he can get up and he can eat a couple innings and, um, you know, maybe do a little bit here or there, but he goes aside from that, it's nothing really special. And you hate to say that because you want to give the fans something to be excited about, but it's it's a pretty eh, profile. Um, and so, you know, again, you've seen guys switch organizations and it's like a switch flips and all of a sudden they're doing sensational and the Tigers can hope that happens with him. But looking at the numbers, looking at the profile, a couple of scouts have said they think it's more of an analytics pick just because they said if you look at the numbers, it's not something you'd want to do off of the numbers. So a few of them said, you know, maybe they saw something through analytics that they liked. But other than that, it's kind of a head scratcher. Yeah, 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 just a little bit. So but we'll see, you know, we'll just have to see what they have in store. I mean, I guess the one thing you can give them is that he's got good command. The Tigers, mm -hmm. like everybody else, have taken a million pitchers that had pretty good stuff but could never put it together. Maybe you try the reverse. I don't know. Maybe you can reverse engineer a better breaking ball in there and, and get more out of him. But uh, yeah, I, I somebody described him to me as as kind of a poor man's Julio Tehran, which I was kind of like, oh, well, all right. <laughs> so yeah, that's how it goes though sometimes. I heard the Tehran description as well too. Yeah, a few people 
listed him as a Julio type. And it's, that's, I, I don't think that's that far off, honestly. But again, you hope maybe they can pull a little bit more out of him and see what it'll do moving forward. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, let's, let's talk about, I, I think a guy who is, um, kind of one of the more interesting and, and important parts of the Tigers rebuild next year. And it's not the pitchers. It's, um, it's actually Deus Cameron, because if we look in the, you know, the upper minors, um, there's not a whole lot of positional talent that really profiles to, to have an impact. Um, it's pretty much Isaac Paredes, um, uh, with a few other guys who, who have, you know, a, a, some kind of a shot, but, um, but I think, you know, Daz Cameron is sort of the one who, who has the, the best chance to make an impact and kind of, you know, transform a little bit what the, the future Tigers outfield might look like. So what were your impressions of, of Daz this year? We know, he, you know, he had some struggles, um, you know, at the AAA level. Um, you know, it, it seemed like he was fighting it for, for parts of the season, um, but he's also pretty young for the level. And I don't, I don't think anybody should take too much of the fact that he might have to repeat it somewhat next year um, before moving up. So, yeah, I don't know. Where, where are you uh, feeling things are with Mr. Daz right these days? Yeah, Daz, I asked Daz to describe his season and he goes, man, do I have to? <laughs> <laughs> so I think that tells you, I think that tells you the vibe from this season. And it was, it was a challenging year for him. He acknowledges that he knows, you know, the, the performance at the plate was subpar. Um, it's, it's not what he wanted to produce. He knew that he could do better. Um, but with him, I asked him actually about that for a piece that I'm doing for Baseball America. Um, I spoke with him on the phone from Puerto Rico. He's down there for the uh, the Winter League right now. So we spoke about that a little bit. And I asked him, I said, was it more um, mechanics or was it development, um, like from a mental side? And he goes, honestly, it was mental. He goes, I didn't really shift up my mechanics too much. He goes, it was just more of trying to stay in a good headspace. And he said, I think a lot of times I was overthinking things. You know, and thinking I had to do way too much here, do this, you know, too much here. And he goes, it was really just a lot of time spent in my head that I shouldn't have spent there. Um, so for him, it's just been a matter of using this time in Puerto Rico to shake off the year because he goes, I just, I don't even want to think about it. He goes, I want to shake it off. You know, I think he's about to turn 23, if I remember correctly. He's getting close to his 23rd birthday. Yep. For Old AAA, man. that's... <laughs> exactly. And it was practically <laughs> over the hill. But, uh, you know, for AAA, that's young. That is still young. And that's one thing where the fans need to remember this, that when you put a kid at that age, at that level against that type of talent, that is extremely difficult. And so you can't look at that type of a thing and go, gosh, what a disappointment. You got to give them time. You've got to give them time to figure it out. Defensively, he was he was fantastic this year did a great job in center field. I know he wants to hold in center field. He wants to keep that spot. And if he can hit, he'll have a chance because you've seen the other guys. I mean, Jacoby Jones, fantastic defender, went through how many cold spells at the plate. It's like these guys have to figure out how to stay consistent if they want to earn that starting job. And I think we see Daz back in Toledo to start the year. But if he can keep that back consistent, I think he could see a promotion sooner rather than later. Yeah, and it's just such a it's such an interesting level, um, especially just last year because not only did you have the ball suddenly getting you know far jumpier, but it it kind of has started to feel like major league teams are much more interested, especially the ones who are content contending in kind of having that stashed couple of veterans um, there who they can call up as opposed to you know forcing their their own prospects up a little bit early. 
So overall, you might be seeing a, a just kind of a different and more, you know, sort of educated mix of pitches um, from some of those guys. And I also wonder if some guys weren't kind of swinging for the fences a little bit too much just because the ball did seem to be flying out of there a little bit more uh, potently since they used the, the major league ball. So I don't know. There's some weird little, there's always those weird little changes from league to league each year to year that uh, you always wonder, is that having an impact on some of these guys or is it not really? Is it just a you thing know, to talk it's... about? Yeah, and it's interesting to think about, too, because I spoke with Dylan Cease um, with the White Sox earlier this year, and we were talking about the jump from AA to AAA, um, because he obviously went to um, Charlotte before getting the call up to Chicago. And he said, you know, it's funny, he said a lot of guys will say the biggest jump is from high A to AA. He goes, personally, as a pitcher, he goes, I think it was from AA to AAA. And so, like, there's so many different factors. You look at the league you play in. Obviously, some leagues are more hitter-friendly, some are more pitcher-friendly. Different perspectives, depending on if you're talking to a position player or a pitcher, because they're going to see the challenges differently. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's and that's, you know, some of those things have to kind of influence decision-making there a little bit as, as far as, like, how aggressive you are moving people up, maybe, and, yeah, just how you can kind of go about using that roster, so. Um, did you get a chance to talk to Doug Minkowitz at all this, this past season? Yeah, we actually we spoke a little bit the earlier part of the year. I didn't get a chance to too much later on, um, but it was more just about kind of learning the profiles of his players. Um, I think for him, it was, you know, a chance of really kind of digging into the different personality types and trying to figure out who to who to focus on. What do you pull out of this guy? What do you pull out of this guy? And unfortunately, it, it was just a challenging year. It was a challenging year for the managers. It was a challenging year for the players. Um, and it left a lot of people asking questions, what's going on with these guys? Because a lot of them had a good year last year. And then they came in this year, and it's like something kind of fell off the track a little bit. And so it, it, he was he was frustrated more often than not. <laughs> I'll, I'll be transparent about that. He was, he was pretty frustrated with, you know, I think in his eyes, he was trying to translate something to the players and the way he was doing it just wasn't quite clicking with the players, I guess would be the best way to put it. And so it was a little bit of just, I think, a clash of learning style versus management style. That was my interpretation of it. It wasn't ever something that was confirmed, but that that was how I kind of walked away with the challenges that they faced in Toledo this year. And so we'll have to see, you know, what direction the, the club goes next year, because a lot of these guys are going to be back. Plus, they're going to have a lot of the new arms. Yeah. So it's it's going to be an interesting year for those guys. Yeah, I think that the, the choice of, of who they decide to manage the, the Mud Hens next year is going to be a, really interesting and probably tell you a little bit about, you know, how, how they're thinking about some of these players and what they need, you know, to make the, the next step. Because, yeah, they seem to really like, you know, Doug Menkowitz and, the, you know, in a lot of ways that hire made good sense. And then... You know, I mean, it's always going to be a tough year at, at Toledo when you, you know, when the major league roster is this depleted, too, because, I mean, we, you know, covering the minor leagues every day, just watching, like, guys get sent up and down and moved here, and then they're shifted because someone else had to get called up to the Tigers to fill in. It's just, yeah, it's just kind of a roller coaster some days, so. Well, and now with the transition of Drew Verhagen, you know, that's another arm that they won't have to rotate. You're going to have to, you know, look for some new places to fill. And it's it's going to be interesting to see, you know, who kind of becomes those new fill-ins and who gets the, the first round of call-ups. So we'll have to see what they decide for next year. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, we talked about how kind of crowded the outfield slots are um, at AAA and in the majors, and it's kind of the same thing with the starting pitching. There's going to be an awful lot of guys kind of in the mix there. <laughs> I don't know. I'm interested to see how they arrange this. And yes, Mr. Agrizal will be added in there, and the Tigers, you would assume, would still be looking for a cheap, you know, Major League veteran starter of some sort. So yeah, I don't know. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be crowded. It's going to be some competition, that's for sure. There definitely is. And it, it puts guys in a position, like Dave Littlefield said, you know, puts guys in a position to realize, hey, I have a chance to earn a spot. And I think it makes it a little bit more competitive and guys are going to push a little bit harder and you're going to see who ends up winning out. But they're going to have to set themselves apart for sure. Um, all right. We, let's move on to kind of the, the big topic, uh, the overarching topic going on in, in minor league baseball, which is the... Um, you know, Commissioner Rob Manfred came out, uh, well, he didn't come out necessarily. It was reported first in Baseball America. Um, the New York Times has done a, a bunch of work on this as well. But um, they have a plan. They have they have an idea to um, to restructure the minor leagues and cut a, a suggested, anyway, 42 teams, mostly from the, the low minors, rookie ball, short season, A ball levels. Um, what is the, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a, a pretty wild overarching proposal. Um, there's a lot of elements to it and a lot to talk about. What, what is the initial reaction that, that you're, you're hearing from people? And is it as negative as it, as it, you know, feels like on Twitter in particular? Very much so. Very much so. Yeah. There's a lot of very frustrated people and I've, I've talked to a lot of the players about it, obviously not publicly because, as with the minor league pay topic, there's there's a lot at risk if they get too opinionated publicly. So they they try and you know keep their opinions under wraps for the most part. But it's the biggest hit I think is is going to be against the towns. Um, I know specifically Erie, um, they're in the process of doing some major renovations to their stadium, um, and I know for a fact that front office has worked their tail off to get this money, get these renovations done. And suddenly to be approached with this, hey, you guys might not be here, you know, in 2021, I believe is the proposed change. Um, that's that's a blow. That's a blow to the city. That's a blow to the league. It's a blow to all the employees. Like you have to think about how many jobs would be affected by this. And you kind of step back and go, is this really necessary? Is it really necessary? And it's it's a question a lot of people are asking right now. But my interpretation of it has been far more negative than positive from people's reactions. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely feeling fairly negative about it as well. Like, I, I think, you know, there are two parts to, to, to it, really, which is, like, on one side, there's a player development argument that, that I think can be can be made um, for, for the league's proposal. And sort of just the way some some teams, like, you know, obviously the Astros and the Dodgers, some of these teams that are on the, the cutting edge or even the cheating edge in the Astros cases in some, in some ways... Um, you know, they're, they're trying to move away from, from sort of the bulk, uh, you know, approach where they're going to have as many guys as they can possibly hold. They seem, you know, overall the Astros kind of feel to me like they would like to actually play less games and practice more, you know, kind of have guys practicing in real game situations, um, you know, working on specific skills rather than just playing game after game all summer long, um, and perhaps, you know, there's an argument as well for focusing on a smaller pool of players overall. So I think, you know, player development wise, I can I can start to see some arguments for the way the game is changing in the way that it's being taught 
and in, in the way you know some of those teams want to run their minor league system. But I think there's just so many repercussions to this that are that are possible that it. I'm really surprised that the league even let this get out before they really had any kind of like an you know a focused and complete proposal to make because. And I know obviously some of that is probably you know minor league team owners and GMs and stuff, you know, le- leaking some of these things just because you know the initial proposal I think was just taken with such sort of shock by um, by a lot of people. It definitely was. And I know minor league baseball did approach um, Congress for some assistance um, with handling this because I think it, it blindsided a lot of people. And I, I understand that I was telling somebody this the other day, I understand downsizing the rookie level a bit. I don't think teams need multiple rookie level groups. I think you could have one rookie level. You could cut that down significantly. You don't have to have all of these different lower rookie branches in your organization. Cut that down a little bit. But I, I think if you're talking about practically an eliminating entire leagues out of the system, wh- why? I mean, that's that's the question that I have to ask is why would you go to such an extreme measure when the changes happening in baseball are already not very popular. I I feel (laughs) like, you know, I feel like Rob Manfred, again, he's under a lot of pressure in his position. And I I respect that. And I know that the game is constantly developing and it's constantly changing. But why is there such a need? I guess my question would be, why is there such a need to do so many changes in such a short amount of time? Why not kind of space these out a little bit more, you know, try and be a little bit more strategic because when you present this, it's a blow to the face of the fan base. And for a fan base of an, of, you know, an industry that saw, what was it like a 4.6% increase in attendance last year, they, they don't need another kick in the pants. They need something to show, Hey, look, we're, we're paying attention to you and we're going to support you instead of, Hey, we're going to hack off your right arm. Yeah, it's, it's it's hard to understand. Yeah, it really is because it seems like you know the the league is trying to make two contrary arguments, which is that on the one hand this is you know this is all costing them too much money, you know, but you don't see you know major league or you know there's kind of an argument that like the minor league teams at least some of them are making you know really good money now, and the league wants to push some of the you know some of the the the, bur- the financial burden onto them. Um, but you don't see the league deciding that, like, they want, you know, the, the franchises wanting to, you know, retake all of the minor league franchises over and, and own them all. Um, you know, there doesn't seem to be any interest in, in changing the structure that way. And and so, you know, the the league wants to kind of argue they're making all this money and things, are, you know, are going great down there. But, you know, but we have concerns about, you know, facilities or, you know, player pay. Um, they're trying to come at it from that perspective, but they... I don't know. There's just an, an, a disconnect to me between the way they're they're describing, you know, the, the problems and and their remedies. Because you know, we all you've reported on this, you know, as well as anyone, and, and earlier than most, you know, the league just spent you know millions of dollars lobbying to get the America's you know Save America's Pastime Act a couple of years ago through Congress, and that stripped a lot of labor protections from minor league players. Um, protected the league from from lawsuits in in certain cases about perhaps having to pay them a living wage, um, or even the minimum wage um, in a lot of cases, and so they've already kind of made that that huge push, and then to come out so forcefully um, with this and and really confrontationally, you know, there was that one thing that Rob Manfred said where 
it was basically we're not interested in exchanging you know economic benefits for labor peace that was really really confrontational like i i was kind of stunned that he would even kind of put it in such overarching terms because it almost kind of put it into the mlbpa's you know realm as though this was all part of you know kind of some of the wrangling that's gone on with the with the players union and the next cba um, and, those, and as we all know, yeah. the relationship between Major League Baseball and the Players Association isn't quite in the best standing at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, the minor league players, and you know, they're not a part of that. It's a, it's a wholly separate entity. So Correct. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think you make a great point in just how many how many jobs are involved. And it's not just, you know, the players that lose jobs. It's umpires. It's people who work in the stadiums, it's, you know, video guys. And, you know, all those people are, all that is sort of not just a farm system for, you know, baseball talent itself. It's a farm system for all the other jobs that are kind of associated with it. You know, there's going to be less coaching jobs as a result of a change like that. Um, All those sort of, you know, breeding grounds for for talent in other parts of the industry um, are going to be affected as well. And yeah, I mean, Erie is just such a perfect example because you've got this $12 $12 million restoration and, and renovation going on that, you know, is, is partly funded by a $12 million state grant, I believe. And MLB is talking about just pulling the rug right out from under the entire franchise right now um, in a year's time. So yeah, you know, they didn't seem particularly prepared for what I thought was just an obvious outpouring of horror and, you know, <laughs> and, and just outrage in general. Yeah, that was my biggest question is how how did they expect that to be received? Yeah. That, that, that was, was the biggest thing that I wondered. And I mean, bravo to, to the Erie Seawolves for continuing the renovations. I know that they're taking a stand on it. They've been very outspoken and rightfully so about what's been going on and how much that team is a value to the community, to the area. And now doing the renovations is going to park you know that much better for the fans and so i i'm proud of them for standing up for you know having a voice and i hope more teams do the same and they had um bernie sanders released a letter that he wrote to rob manfred um in support of the minor league industry and i i think that that was really refreshing to see i know my question earlier was it would have would have been nice to see more of this from from congress back when they were still discussing the save america's pastime act yeah but it's regardless of that it's still refreshing to see it's refreshing to to see people in these positions taking a stand on behalf of the quote-unquote little guy you know trying to be a voice for them because realistically in 2021 it is going to be an interesting year between <laughs> the supposed revision to the, the minor league industry to the CBA renegotiation. Are we going to even have baseball? That's going to be my question. <laughs> yep. I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, have already had that in their mind. And then, and this just pushed it, you know, so far, you know, forward where it's just, it, it just feels counterproductive to the league in some ways too. You know, I, it's really hard to see where the benefit is so great for them that they'd be willing to, you know, to, to push things to the point of, you know, of, of really backing the players um, into a corner and a lot of these minor league franchises now too. So yeah, I don't know. Um, it's, it's a little bit of a scary, <laughs> a little bit of a scary time as far as this goes. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's going to require a couple of people to stand up and, and to be a voice of reason for this and say, guys, you know, this, this is our game. Are we really going to do this? Are we really going to you know, change this up this much. And to be honest, and you know that I'm, you know, generally an optimistic person, I'm not optimistic. 
Yeah. I'm not just because I've seen the direction the game is going. I think there's going to be a blow up before there's a resolution because when you've got the owners and you've got the players association and then you've got the minor minor league guys who have no representation, there's, there's going to be something ugly, I think, before something gets better. And I'm hoping it's going to be soon rather than later. So try and pick up and carry on with some stuff. I think it's going to get pretty ugly here soon. Yeah, I mean, it really just feels like the league is is pushing things to you know a pretty intense confrontation in a lot of a lot of different areas. And once you kind of open that Pandora's box, you don't really know what, what's going to come out or how it's how it's all going to resolve itself. So, yeah, it's just such a weird time because you know the league is promoting the minor leagues more. It feels like you know th- there's a lot greater interest in prospects and in top prospects, both via you know regular fans and like the super intense like fantasy baseball people. Um, you know, top prospects like Joe Adele, guys like that, you know, Gore, Casey Mize at this point, like the, they're kind of like the, you know, the, the indie rock bands of the of the baseball world, you know, compared to 20 years ago or, or 30 years ago, everybody kind of knows who those guys are, um, you know, so they're, they're at the same time that they're kind of, you know, downplaying the importance of, of certain parts of the minor leagues, there's also, you know, a real emphasis on, you know, developing young talent and not overpaying for older free agents. And it's, you kind of can't have all these things the same way. Like something's got to give on, on one side or the other. And it feels like the owners are pushing really hard to have it their way, you know, in, in all areas um, at a time when, you know, they're not struggling at all. They're, they're making plenty of money. And, and you know, when you wrote that, say that article um, talk with Ken Rosenthal talking about, you know, what it's like to live on minor league salaries, especially for the really young guys. Um, you know, it just it just really brought it home, like how, you know, how pressed a lot a lot of other people in the game are um, by the by the financial circumstances that they have to go through to to try to, you know, make the dream happen. <clears throat> and, you know, to some degree, it's always been that way, I guess. But um, but at a time when the, the league is making you know record profits and like the new TV deals all seem to be huge. You know, municipalities are still building stadiums for teams. Um, it's just it's just a really, really aggressive posture that I don't really think is going to work in anyone's favor here. No, I really don't. I think we're gonna we're gonna see an outcome sooner rather than later, whether it's positive or negative. Um, I'm I'm not sure. I think we all just are gonna have to wait and see. Um, I hope it's for the better on behalf of the fans and these all these minor league front offices and their staffs and these employees that come to the games and love to come to the games. I've spoken with so many different employees at the different parks that I've traveled to, and they look forward to coming out to the field. They look forward to being at these games and serving the fans who come in. It's it's a labor of love for so many of these people. And to just pull that out, you have to ask yourself, is that really the best way? Is that really the best way? And And personally, I don't think it is. Yeah, you know, I I think, you know, there are some things that the league could ask for here that that seem reasonable. Like I think there's some restructuring that does make sense geographically. I'm I'm sure you would you would agree to some degree that Sure, yeah, sure. There's yep. some some long travel involved and there are some some places that don't have the nicest facilities, but um you look at that map um and who they I think it was on Fangraphs today. It's an article entitled Take Me Out to the Ball Game and it kind of um it's by Ben Clemens and Meg Rowley. And it kind of just illustrates where you you see all these teams leaving. And it's almost entirely, you know, like the, the mountain states and, you know, the eastern Midwest. And it's it's very much like Heartland country where, where a lot of, you know, a lot of these 
a lot of people who don't live very close to a major league team in a major league city are going to lose, you know, any connection to, to pro baseball if, if this goes through. And, um, that, you know, I mean, I don't want to be overly field of dreams, you know, nostalgic about it, but, you know, you're trying to rejuvenate the game among young people and get more young people interested and trying to redevelop that talent level. And for a lot of these kids, you're now going to take away any direct access to, you know, high quality professional baseball. Um, you know, they're just not going to have that as a, as a touchstone in, in their summers if they're playing Little League or if we're just talking about the next generation of fans, um, you, you're going to leave a lot of people high and dry without with baseball being a, a TV show almost entirely rather than, you know, something you actually go and experience um, live. And that sucks. <laughs> so. and, it's, and it's a totally different experience live. And I think if you... If you pull that out of these towns, like you said, the Midwest, that's prime baseball fan country. That's that's what these guys live for. These kids live for this. You pull that away from them, that is not properly marketing the game. That's that's taking a hit to the game, and it's not going to benefit them. It pulls away fan bases. It pulls away, you know, the legacies that these teams have built in these cities. And it's it's it, you have to ask why. And it really doesn't. Why is this what they feel is necessary? Yeah, because you just don't really see where the where the big loss is. Like it, it's just hard to see where they're actually losing any money. Um, you know, I mean, we've all seen the articles about what it would take to pay, you know, guys who are you know below the double A level a, a living wage, and it's really not very much. You know, we're talking like four or five million dollars tops per team, um, maybe less than that. You know, just to get them all to like a, a fairly decent standard and. That's just not very much money in a, you know, in a near, you know, what is it, like a half billion dollar industry at this point. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's It just feels like a lot of weird little pen, penny pinching and um, and getting a lot of bad will out of it. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I you know, Rob Manfred, for all the things I don't like about him, I assume he's a smart man. <laughs> there must be, he, must be a plan. He is. He's a very smart man. He has, he has a mind for business, but I think... In certain situations, I think that that business mind can get away from the realism of the fans and the game and the atmosphere and all of these little things that play into baseball. Like this isn't this isn't just a business. This is an actual game. Yes, there's a business aspect to it. Obviously, people have made their careers out of it. There are owners. There's a lot of money involved. But it's not just the business. And you have to factor in the game aspect. You have to factor in the fans. You have to factor in the the atmosphere. There's so much that you have to think about. And if you want to market this game properly, pulling these teams is not going to solve it. It's just going to create a massive hole in the Midwest, which is the platform to support these teams. Give the fans more access to the game, and you build the game, and it's marketed properly. Yeah, it just yeah, it just feels very short-sighted, and I know that this isn't an original point on on my part, but it just feels like the the league has kind of you know followed you know the Astros and some of these other teams that kind of feel almost more like a private equity firm. Like there there isn't much long-term you know thought for like ten years down the road. It's sort of all about like how can we make as much and win as much as cheaply as possible right now and get out is is almost you know kind of kind of the attitude that. 
that I've seen from some of those teams, and that kind of ha- has started to permeate the way Major League Baseball operates. I mean, it always has, but but even more so, um, the labor balance that was struck for so long after the the strike in the early '90s um, just feels like it's a, you know very much in, in jeopardy at a time when the league has less to complain about than ever, as as far as like the owners in the league itself. Um, so yeah, I, I don't really know where this is going to go. We're going to end up having to talk about this for years, and it's probably not going to be very much fun. But and yeah. it's going to make us grumpy every single time. Absolutely, but it is a, a super important topic, so we're going to have to going to have to keep on it and just 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 live in there, I guess. Can you see any way that like a dream league, like that dream league concept, could work? Because it just seems like you know, independent ball is like a you know like a part time job for the most part. Yeah, you know? I'm I'm not a fan. I'm, I just, I don't see the benefits to it. It's, I just, I, I don't think that that's the solution. I think they need to address the issue with the minors and have that be the focus. And trying to present this Dream League is, it's almost kind of like they're dangling out something to distract everybody. Like, look what we're doing over here, guys. Right. Look, look what we've started over here. I, I don't, I don't see the benefit of it. And I, I really don't think it's necessary. Yeah. I mean, it didn't even seem like a real proposal. It was just like something someone tacked on at the end, like, oh, but maybe we'll I'll have a Dream League and that'll be better. It's like, yeah, I don't know. I think if you put Dream into something, it's like, ooh, nostalgia, magic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yep. It, it sounds nice. Oh, the Dream League. Yeah. But what they're saying is that, unfortunately, um, this lowest kind of tier of player who, who, who gets cut, like, it's like your, dream, your dreams just aren't coming true, kid. <laughs> yep, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yep. So, all right. Um, that's been great. I love having you on. Um, thanks for taking some time to come and talk with us. Is there anything particular going on in the next next month, or you kind of just get to lay back until, uh, until the holidays and kind of take in the, the free agent market for the time being you know you know i try to have an off season brandon i try really really hard and i'm just not very good at it because i just keep saying yes so <laughs> what uh what i've been working on recently we talked about daz cameron i'll have our conversation up at baseball america um just talking about his addition to the 40-man roster playing ball in puerto rico I'm talking about some strange foods. So that was a fun conversation. Um, and then I'm also working on a project, the Baseball America Prospect and like one of the team reviews, which is an absolute dream come true um, to work on a publication that has the history that Baseball America does. Um, Matt, Matt Eddy and JJ Cooper and Ben Badler and all these guys have just been so accepting and so so welcoming for my contributions. And then I'll continue to be the Tigers minor league correspondent for them in 2020. I'm looking forward to continuing to grow and just bringing content to people. And it's been really fun. And I, I absolutely, as always, appreciate the fans and of the game and the minor league enthusiasts and just the ones who have continued to read my stuff since the days at Bless You Boys. Um, so definitely grateful to everybody and appreciate them all taking the time to listen. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's just been awesome to uh, see how how far you've gotten and how much further you're going to go. Yeah, getting into the uh, Baseball America annual is pretty sweet. That's that's cool. <laughs> Very cool. Gonna check that off the bucket list. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Emily Walden, uh, thanks very much for hanging out with us tonight. Um, yeah, well, maybe we'll catch up with you in the spring for a little bit of a uh, prospect preview um, as, as things start to warm up, <laughs> or at least look like they might start to warm up in, in February, and hopefully um, we can all survive this cold, frigid Michigan winter and enjoy it as much as possible. 
and spring will deliver us better baseball than we saw this year. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks again for uh, for the conversation. Always a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. Emily Walden.